to our interview series on brave feminine leadership. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce you and welcome Anna Marinkovic to the conversation. Thank you, Melissa. So this conversation is titled No More Secrets. Extraordinary leaders share their journey from good to great, and I can't wait to get into your story. Let me kick off by touching on some of your bio just to introduce you briefly to the audience, and then we'll kick off our conversation. So Anna started life in Australia as a 12-year-old refugee from the Balkan Wars and learnt early on that hard work, broad engagement and integrity are foundations to authentic leadership. Today, Anna's privileged to lead Australia's largest small business bank and look after the financial needs of 500,000 businesses nationally with over 60 billion in funds under management. Under Anna's leadership, NAB Small Business Bank has attained number one market share, is growing faster than its peers with a leading customer net promoter score and staff engagement in the 80s. However, what she's most proud of is how her team of 1,500 bankers helped 220,000 small businesses across the country restructure their finances to survive the floods, bushfires and the pandemic. And as a lifelong learner, global citizen and passionate advocate for diversity, inclusion and equality of opportunity and has been volunteering and mentoring women from disadvantaged backgrounds for over a decade. It's my absolute pleasure to have you join us today. And I would love to ask firstly, for anyone in the audience who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, tell us about yourself and your amazing journey and, and who you are as a human being, Anna. We'll start with the easy stuff. Thank you, Melissa. Well, I think that as the years go by, um, I find that you ask yourself that question uh, more and more. Who are you as a human being? Um, and I mean, there are those traditional uh, labels um, that define me like mother, daughter, wife, sister, friend, executive, you mentioned refugee. But then there are others um, that actually bring the real meaning um, to who you are as a person. Um, and, and there I kind of think about what is the impact that you've had? Are you raising resilient children that know good from bad? Who have you helped out um, on their journey? How have you empowered someone um, to reach maybe a bit further than they would um, on their own? What did you learn yesterday? Um, is your marriage one of equality and uh, mutual respect? Who have you mentored um, if, to professional success? Um, and then, you know, how did you show up um, during those really challenging times when people looked up to you for leadership. Um, and despite being able to, um, to quote examples in, in all of those, um, it never quite seems enough. I think that having an impact for me now goes beyond showing to the other women from disadvantaged backgrounds that if I can make it, so can you. Um, because the truth of the matter is that, yes, I have worked incredibly hard, but I've also been incredibly lucky to have the most extraordinary supporters on that journey, Melissa. And I had an excellent education that was absolutely foundational. And I had very, very strong female role models in my immediate family. And that has really, really gotten me to where I am today. Fantastic. So let's navigate our way through your story. 
And, and I know there's parts of this story that you haven't always felt comfortable sharing. And it's only been a couple of years ago that you've, you've really sort of shared that story and, and opened up. So let's jump into that story and, um, and, and tell us about your background. I mentioned earlier about a, a refugee arriving in Australia at 12. Sure. So my ch early childhood was absolutely wonderful. Um, and then it wasn't. Uh, it changed in a flash from utmost security um, to bomb shelters and bunkers. I left home when I was 12 uh, years old and I did not see my parents again well into adulthood. But I think what that experience really taught me more than anything else is to really think twice about things that you attach yourself to and the identity you build for yourself as a result. I think, you know, I was taught very early on in life that most things in life are quite transient. Titles, positions, material possessions, standing in the society, even that sense of security that, you know, your, your family does their best to provide you with. But one thing that is absolutely not tra transient is, is that resilience at your core that you build through those experiences. Also around making a choice about how you spend your time and the impact you have to help someone um, maybe reach the lengths that they wouldn't be able to do on their own as I have been helped throughout my life. It has also taught me that it is okay not to belong. It is okay to be different. It is okay um, to be yourself uh, because authenticity does matter. It took you a while to get there though, didn't you? So, you know, let's go back through, um, you talked about your education earlier. So let's, let's go there and, you know, what did you study and where did you progress from there? Well, I was very, very fortunate that when I came to Australia, um, I had an opportunity to go to an excellent um, girls' school um, where I absolutely excelled. And I felt that need to you know, study harder than anybody else because at the back of my mind, I was thinking about my parents and the sacrifices that they made to get me out of the country when they did. And I had this real sense of not wanting to disappoint them. So I studied very, very hard. I um, ended up at University of Melbourne doing arts and science. And post that, I um, was very fortunate to uh, get an internship at the United Nations um, in Vienna. And post that, I, um, I received uh, an offer to stay in Torino and work for the Food and Agricultural Organization in the, of the UN, which I was incredibly keen to do, but um, they ended up changing um, the position location from Torino to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia for six months of the year. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those sliding moments of my life where, uh, you know, my family felt that, you know, having once escaped war, um, you're now choosing proactively to go back into that environment again. And I felt this sense of not wanting to put them through 
um, that kind of trauma all over again. And I ended up back in Australia and um, at uh, in a banking graduate program in, in 2005. And that was you know, the start of, of a very fulfilling, very varied um, banking career. So into a fairly male-dominated industry as well, was that how it felt at the time when you first arrived? Yes, very much so. I mean, I, you know, started, I started in, in on a banking graduate program in 2005, and I was virtually promoted every single year. And I think through, through that sheer work effort um, and output and uh, giving enormous amount of energy into my jobs, including, um, I think with my first child, I took four weeks off maternity leave. With my second child, I took three weeks off. Wow. Um, and you know, to this day, Melissa, I've never proactively applied um, for a job and I've never negotiated a salary. And And I often think, what if I had the courage to apply for a dream role? What if I had said no to a letter of offer and asked for a remuneration that my male counterparts were getting for exactly the same type of for job? And um, interestingly enough, my um, current boss um, actually proactively addressed that uh, pay gap. And I remember getting off that phone call and feeling this intense, intense gratitude towards him um, that I didn't have to ask because I knew I would never ask proactively. But then I thought about that broader ecosystem and again, that impact of not asking and allowing these things to go unaddressed. And I feel that sometimes we women, even if we are living and working in a man's world, we absolutely need to find the courage. And, and to this date, I haven't been able to when it comes to this particular topic, for example, despite all the successes over the years. That, that conversation will blow a number of people away. Um, you know, there will be male and female people in our audience who, um, who would struggle to believe that you know, looking at the heights you've reached in terms of a banking career, that along the way you've never, um, you know, to use your own words, you've never had the courage to kind of put your hand up for a role or to negotiate a salary. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all. So in terms of the conversations that I've been having with people, um, you know, you're really, you know, you're really not alone. Um, I mean, that's incredible to understand the story of your current boss addressing that um but wow wow i think melissa there is a price to pay um for whatever choices you, you make in life and you know for me it's always been about prioritizing work of everything else in life because i knew that i had to and um i still need to work twice as hard to get to the same level of opportunity and recognition but i'm actually now okay with that because at least it gives me a voice and ability to talk factually and dispassionately um, about it. And it also, I suppose, puts me in a position where I can have impact and um, maybe make it a bit easier for those after me to have that voice. And, you know, I am in an incredibly privileged position where 
I can influence and change some of that conversation. And hopefully when people hear from my experiences, they might have a little bit more courage, find a little bit more courage um, to, uh, to address these things in their own, for their own experience. You mentioned earlier about having some incredible female role models um, throughout your sort of personal life and career. Who were they and how did they influence you? Yeah, so I've, um, I've had, I've been incredibly lucky um, and privileged to have extraordinary mentors in both my personal but also professional life. And I think uh, these were the women that were true trailblazers. My, my grandmother, who was a um, first secretary of the um, Communist um, Central Committee in former Yugoslavia, who divorced before um, World War II, which was an absolutely unheard of thing back in the Balkans, back in the time, was educated at the Academy uh, of uh, Arts and Sciences um, in Vienna, was a politician in her own right, married to a politician. Um, you know, she was a woman of, of courage and, and conviction. And, you know, and, and she, she is someone that taught me from early on that truth liberates in many ways. But I've also had extraordinary um, experiences with men who have given me brilliant stretch opportunities um, to learn, to grow and, and to become a much better leader. And, um, you know, a huge number of men that have given me incredibly constructive feedback on ways to improve. And, you know, and given how, how sometimes um, sensitive the culture is and can be, um, have kind of taken personal risk to have yes. honest conversations um, to me as well and, and give me really tough feedback on how to improve. But so, so by and large, I, I feel that I've really been lucky to have a lot of inspirational leaders to learn from and be inspired by and motivated by and to want to replicate things that they've done in their careers and the impact they've had. And they've all had a really huge role to, to play in my developmental and career journey. As I've said, my current boss who proactively decided to um, address a gender gap and has given me the courage now to face into that for, for, for my people and, and for the people perhaps in my team that, that, are not, that have not been traditionally treated as fairly when it comes to remuneration. What examples have you got throughout your journey uh, where you think you've hit up against some of the biases that are around, sort of unconscious and conscious biases? Well, I was so pleased uh, when I saw the theme for International Women's Day, and we are talking on International Women's we Day. We are. Breaking the bias, right? It made me smile. And it made me smile, Melissa, because of its sheer boldness and its how incredibly aspirational it is, right? Yeah. I deal with biases every single day. And you know, most people do. But when, when you speak with a really thick um, ethnic accent, when you've got blonde hair and a somewhat youthful appearance, um, right in the middle of one of the most masculine, monolithic, culturally homogenous industries, um, you kind of, you know, things can get quite interesting. You probably stand and, out, right? Yes. Yes, you, you could say that, right? Yes. Now, uh, this morning, I'll give you an example from this morning. I was talking to an industry leader who asked me out of the blue, 
whilst we were talking about the impact of multiple pay rates on small business compliance burden, um, if I am feeling conflicted about Ukraine, and I, I have to ask, are you feeling conflicted about Ukraine? And I thought to myself, here we go. And I turned around and I said, no, are you? And he was like taken quite aback by that quite assertive response and said, well, no, I was just thinking you're part of, you're, you're, you're from that part of the world. So you might be finding it difficult. And I said to him, no, I'm absolutely not feeling conflicted. And I'm neither Ukrainian nor Russian. In fact, I am from nowhere near those two countries. And you could feel this sense of discomfort yes. in him, right? And I think that that is a that is an example of a, you know, you could call a conscious or unconscious bias where he actually wanted to demonstrate empathy, yes. but made an assumption about your background that is completely incorrect, both on being conflicted and having a certain opinion or being from a certain cultural background. And then an another one that was quite, um, I actually found it quite amusing, was uh, I received the feedback note um, uh, for uh, on a newsletter. I, I sent this newsletter to some 500,000 small businesses nationally each month. And they wrote to me saying, again, a, a prominent a business leader in this country saying that the content of the newsletter is absolutely brilliant it's very useful it's very well written but can we please change the sender name from Anna Marinkovic as it sounds like an email from a Ukrainian mail order service and people may overlook it as a result and not get the benefit of the really useful information that is in it and again, you know, those biases are deeply ingrained and they are not going to shift Melissa with one Anna proving that she's not on the lookout for a husband via email. Yes. And what I'm saying here is that this requires collective effort. It requires multiple voices and it most importantly, it requires ongoing attention post 8th of March. Now, I've been through this for the last 20 years. My thick skin is very, very thick. I've got enormous amount of resilience. But maybe women that are, that do not have the level of confidence, that haven't been through as much, that haven't achieved as much, that they might have taken that a little bit more, you know, yes. they would become, might have found it a bit more difficult to, de to deal with that kind of commentary. They may not have been able to laugh at it. Potentially not. No. Um, I feel like offering up an apology on, on behalf of all business leaders uh, in Australia. <laughs> um, unbelievable. Um, so, Anna, the question I want to ask is, we alluded to it earlier, around you weren't always comfortable sharing the story of your background. Um, you know, arriving here as a 12-year-old and as a refugee. Um, at what point did you get comfortable? And I guess the other question is, was there a price you paid for not being comfortable with sharing that story? Yes, I think that, um, you know, when, when, was, when did I feel comfortable about um, 
my identity and, and who I am as a person and kind of not having to uh, look for ways to avoid um, conversations about my experiences and where I come from, et cetera, et cetera. I think that happened when I no longer tried to change myself into something that I'm not. And when I finally accepted my identity and started encouraging others to also embrace um, their own diversity and difference and seeing the impact that that, that, that has had. I have often said, Melissa, that um, I have mastered uh, the art of not belonging. And I feel that I'm now completely okay with that. Um, I accept that outward difference. I accept that most people I encounter in boardrooms did not spend their childhood in bomb shelters. Yes. And that as a result may, you know, take on things, they take on things may be quite different. Uh, my accent will never go away. Um, and it, th that in many ways, brands your identity more so than your CV does when you first yes. meet someone. Yes. Um, I've been told yeah. that I'm too fashionable, too assertive, too honest. I've been told that I should take my husband's surname, wear more modest clothes, get some elocution classes. I've been told that I need to drink wine at client functions as it's a bit weird that I have never drank alcohol. Yes. I've also been told that I'm too conservative and too uptight, um, sometimes sprinkled with a bit too emotional. And, you know, these are just labels, labels, labels everywhere. And, yes. you know, over time, these things just stop having an impact. Um, I am as thirsty as I ever was for feedback on my work, my strategy, my leadership style, my execution, how I can be a, a better, more collaborative, more inclusive leader, how I can have more impact. But Melissa, I no longer blink um, at the other noise. Um, probably it's a survival tactic in a way, yes. Yes. but I've learned over time to just negate it and to neutralize it. And it served me really well as a result. How did you do that? You know, how did you neutralise it? I think, um, I, again, I, th I think it comes from experience mm -hmm. and learning that responding emotionally and being upset about uh, someone's intended or not intended hurt that they've caused you ultimately does not is not constructive what is constructive is to have the courage to um, call it out uh, to call it out when you see it happening to someone else yes and then to think yes. about the impact that you can have and you know to do the best work that you can do um, that will speak um, for yourself and that people will be able to see as, as evidence beyond what you look like, what you, you know, what you speak yes. like and, and, and the experiences that you've had. And it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it, it takes a long time. It's, it's, as I said, it's taken me a good 20 years mm -hmm. um, to get there. But uh, the, it, for me, it's always been around how do I turn this into something positive, something constructive. And, and something that will help others on the same journey. Do you believe leaders are born or made? Are leaders born or made? I, I 
think that um, leaders are made and that they continue to be made from cradle to grave. I think that leadership comes from various experiences. It comes from bumps on the road. It comes from adversity. It comes from genuine care. And an instinct, good leadership is about instinctive want to a need to do the right thing. It's that conscience piece. I think it's about uh, lifting others on the journey. The most successful leaders that I have ever seen have been those that have very, very long coattails. And um, leadership for me is also about perspective, courage, being bold, um, testing, learning, knowing that it is okay to fail and that you will inevitably fail and not being scared about that. It's about resilience. It's demonstrating that even when life is full of challenges, there is an opportunity to look at silver lining. And I, I, I kind of tend to see myself sitting in, as I said, in those bunkers with no running water, electricity, food, etc. And, you know, we've come to the other side. I think that finally, Melissa, I think that the other thing is to be conscious of is that, you know, everyone is battling something that we know nothing about. Yes. And if you can motivate yes. a large group of people to unite around a common goal, I think that you're onto something that is more than success for you personally. And you go back a lot as, you know, uh, one can't even imagine what you went through at that point in time. It's obviously incredibly pivotal for you for your entire life. Is there another moment you'd call out of your sort of leadership journey or career that was pivotal in sort of shifting you from a good to a great leader? Yeah, I, again, it goes back to that ability to, you know, come to terms, come to peace with who you are, right? And, you know, as I said, learning to accept my accent, learning to accept my background, uh, not to be embarrassed by my story, not to fear that someone may pity me. I mean, for many years, like I wouldn't talk about it because I had this really, really strong aversion towards people feeling sorry for me, right? And I did not want to, I connected that that piece around, you're going to feel sorry for me, so I might get some preferential treatment, right? Uh -huh. There are all these things that go on in your brain. You know, I'm okay now not, not needing to fit into the school gate crowd because yes. I don't take my kids out to school. Um, I am, as I said, you know, being comfortable, um, being uncomfortable, and it's been a lifelong journey. But as a result of it, Melissa, I do feel that I can relate to the incredibly diverse customer set, for example, that my team is, is serving at the moment, um, the community in which we operate, but also the 1,500 people in my team who come from absolutely all walks of life. And I think that once I got to that point, I felt like I've mastered the art of that not belonging and it's just this heavy burden that I had placed upon myself, shifted, and in a way also allowed me to breathe uh, quite freely. When you sponsor talent in your organisation, do you feel like you have to sponsor female talent differently than male talent? 
I, I try not to differentiate because I think that the meritocracy is incredibly important and that women want to be treated as equals. And, but what I do do, I will, uh, I will purposely choose who I mentor and I will make an effort to mentor those from disadvantaged backgrounds, those that do not have the confidence to stand up, those that have the, uh, the, the, the potential but do not have, um, as I said, that, that, that confidence, um, those ones that do not feel like they have a voice, um, women that do not believe in themselves, um, women that are going through difficulty in their life. And I have had, you know, through that journey, there have been extraordinary uh, stories whereby they genuinely, genuinely did not believe that they could do it, that they could take on that next opportunity, that they could um, uh, you know, go into that next role uh, because of the personal circumstances, family circumstances, etc. But if you provided the right environment for them to do it, they've actually ended up being my highest performers and those that are probably leading the most effective teams. So for me, it's about how do you look beyond the veneer, the surface, and, and all of those biases, and you know, consciously choose uh, to bring out those that are not necessarily you know, in your impact zone Im immediately. People are going to listen to our conversation and hear your story and, and hear of your success. And, you know, I'm pretty sure some people will say, you know, Anna's exceptional. I could never do what she does. How would you respond to that? No, I, 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 I do not believe that. I think that, as I said, given the right environment, given the right mentorship, support and opportunity, um, I think that everyone can realize their potential. You also need to want it, want it from within yourself. Yeah. Um, and you need to find that something that really, really drives you. For me, that driver was not disappointing my parents who made enormous sacrifice to let go of their child at the age of 12. And, you know, someone could argue that's, a, that's the right motivator or a wrong motivator, but that was something that, that, that drove me um, to uh, be the best that I can be to ensure that, you know, I studied, that I did not, um, that their, their confidence in me was absolutely justified. There is also the piece around gratitude, uh, Melissa. A lot of people from my background in those situations, you know, a lot of my friends, family, they didn't survive. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't survive, survive the, the, um, the circumstances that we shared. And many that survived did not thrive because of the impact of those circumstances. So is there's that piece around being grateful for the opportunity that you have. And one thing about living in this country is that opportunities are so much more available than in most places in the world. 
And we, we, we have to be the ones that are proactively utilizing those opportunities as well uh, through a thirst for learning, through working hard. And it's okay. I mean, you know, sometimes you might have to work a bit harder than someone that, that comes from, from a different life context. And, and that is okay. Um, I, I think all of those things, you know, you, you, you have to combine them. And, um, you know, I, I do feel that the opportunities are endless. I'm thinking about that 12 year old um, and I'm thinking about, you know, do you think about that 12 year old very much anymore? You as a 12 year old on that journey? I do because I have a six year old daughter and I often think about the context in which she is growing, which is actually quite similar to the context in which I was growing. You know, it's a childhood that is very, very secure and it's a childhood that is affluent and it's a childhood that um, provides enormous amount of opportunity. And the thing that, 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 occasion, that I occasionally worry about is when you've got so much in life, the lack of any meaningful adversity, how does that then um, how does that then permeate through your ability to be resilient and to be able to not get knocked down by the slightest of roadblocks that you will undoubtedly um, encounter? And I think one of the learnings for me, you know, it has been th throughout my journey is that, this, you know, I choose around, you know, how I behave, what I do, what I don't do, you know, how I how I uh, show up at work and you know there are a lot of things that you know are not all that important to me that are important um, to some others in, in uh, at this at this um, job level so um, yes I, I often do think about it but more in the context of raising my daughter than in the context of self-pity you said something earlier um, that is running around in my head and it's, you know, sometimes you think about if you had found the courage to apply, um, you know, where, where could you be? Um, where would you like to be? Is there a oh, dream? Is there a future dream? Oh, I often think about, uh, you know, the career that I would have had at the United Nations and the impact that I could have had in, in the space of, you know, something that, that, that really resonated with me and um, something that um, I was incredibly passionate about. Um, I often think about uh, the roles that I had heard about that I did not raise my, my, my hand for. Um, I think about all of the not-for-profit opportunities that I heard about and did not have courage to apply for because I do not have not-for-profit board experience. You know, but at the same time, um, I, I like to put things into perspective and, and context. And when I think about the impact that my teams have had on the Australian business community over the last two years, it is incredibly, incredibly mm -hmm. satisfying, gratifying. We have, you know, my teams have single-handedly uh, managed 220,000 individual small businesses from not going, you know, from being able to, to come the other side. Right. And, 
you know, and when I think about the number of families that that would have impacted, the fact that 60 to 70 percent of small businesses utilize the equity in their primary place of residence to finance their businesses, I mean, that, 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 that's a significant um, that's that's a big impact and that's incredibly satisfying. So as, as I keep saying, the gratitude is, is, is very important to keep front of mind. It's an incredible impact. And I dare say that if there's anyone listening to this conversation on a not-for-profit board, uh, they would be more than comfortable that you've got adequate experience to, um, to uh, add something to the mix. So um, it's so wonderful having you as part of the conversation. I'd love to ask you the final question that I ask everybody, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean and do you think it needs to change? I think that brave feminine leadership um, would be consistent uh, yesterday, today and tomorrow. And for me, it's really about three things. It's about courage, it's about women supporting women, and it's about education, access to education. Courage, um, I have lost count, Melissa, of the number of times um, I had an opportunity to say or do something to change the conversation, and I was simply too scared. Yeah. And too scared of being seen as assertive, opinionated, emotional, too scared to be seen as a typical female. And today, I think about the compounding effect of all those missed opportunities. Yes. The compounding effect of every woman not standing up for herself or playing the corporate politics, thinking that that is the way um, to be accepted um, in, in the upper echelons of, 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 of leadership and in our corporate culture. The second piece is around women supporting women. And I often say that my greatest mentors, my greatest sponsors have been women, extraordinary women. But my greatest detractors have also been women. Yes. And I think there is still that notion um, in the workplace that there are limited spaces for women to succeed. Mm. And we really need to challenge that um, with all the audacity that we can collectively muster. And um, finally, I mentioned education. I genuinely believe that education is the single only true equalizer in the world. Mm. And the, the more knowledge women have and broader their horizons, I think the more confident they will be about challenging um, and changing the status quo. Extraordinary conversation. Thank you so much for joining us and being part of the Brave Feminine Leadership Conversation. I can't thank you enough. Absolute pleasure, Melissa. Thank you.